Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions and interests shape our identity and our lives. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I am a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I also happen to be your host. This podcast is produced by Laura Studeris, and for this season, we've partnered up with Under the Radar magazine. If you like what you hear, you can hang out with us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at WNB, the podcast. And if you really, really like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We are under Why Not Both podcast. When you join our Patreon, you get a whole bunch of really cool behind the scenes stuff and you get to chat with us. And that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for your support. And I hope you enjoy our interviews. This week, we had the pleasure of chatting with Mia from Pom Pom Squad. I hope you enjoy our interview. I feel like Zoom has become like all of our best friends. Or worse enemies. I was like, why not both? <laughs> Podcast. There. <laughs> I get it. Oh my gosh. It's a good friend of me, for sure. Like, <laughs> What's that all in front of me? <laughs> it's so funny when I started the podcast I used to ask people like so what are all the things you do and now I'm just like so how's life like you okay over yeah. here? <laughs> that's, that's entertainment enough is just like figuring out what everybody else lives like you know what I mean right it's hard right. to fathom <laughs> <laughs> it's been a really interesting time to be making art or not making art, or sometimes making art, like, it's weird, because, like, did you have any times during this, this entire experience where you're just like, yep, not going to make anything, and then other times where you're like, okay, I want to make all the things at the same time. Yeah, well, I guess, how's it been doing a podcast? Because I feel like now podcasting has become, like, the thing to do. Yeah, it was, it was weird, because I started it, I mean, I feel weird, like, admitting this, having a podcast, but, like, I started it kind of by accident, and it's not like I was, like, huge into podcasts before, like, I wasn't against podcasts, but I wasn't, like, like, a super fan of any, but I was, like, oh, it would be really interesting to talk to people about the multiple things that they do, because I'm always fascinated by what, like, creative stuff people are up to, um, yeah. and it spiraled in a really cool way, because I was, like, oh, at least once a week, I get to talk to, like, creative, interesting people in my living room. Well, this is unusual. I mean, that's a really, that's a really good point. And that sounds fucking awesome. It's like, you also don't have to, you know, go through the trouble of like transcribing it. It's just all there. You get what you pay for. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, I get these little windows into people's experience and then I get to share them with other people. And I'm like, oh, this is excellent. This is like all of my favorite things combined. I'm always very curious about people. And then I like to share with others. Yeah. It's been weird, but good. <laughs> How is it? Thank you. How's it been like sharing your own stuff? Because it's a really unique time to be putting out any sort of art, really. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, uh, I just put out an album called Death of a Cheerleader. And that process I think the process of making it was a lot more fun than anything I've done before I don't think just because I wasn't really considering what other people would think of it while I was writing it um I was just writing it and 
you know, I think being in New York and kind of coming up in the live music scene, you're constantly surrounded by other bands who are, you know, playing, you know, like who's playing what venue and who's playing with who and who got the best show and who booked yeah. the well, and you're kind of constantly, you know, comparing, or at least I, you know, tend to be a very, um, I don't know, it's sort of like the trap of, of being <laughs> an artist is, nope. you know, incessant need to compare yourself to other people. Nope. Um, so, you know, I also was working as a publicist prior to the pandemic. So it was like, I was also constantly surrounded by who is getting the most press and who's getting, you know, what kinds of press, like who's in NPR, who got a pitchfork review, you know? So I was just always around uh, music from an industry perspective or from a, you know, kind of a live show perspective, or it just kind of always felt like, you know, selling in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love playing shows, you know, it was like a very spiritual thing for me performing um but I think you can kind of lose sight of the spiritual or human emotional side of of art when you're kind of so in the commerce yeah yeah so honestly writing death of a cheerleader was a really refreshing turn of events partially because you know nobody had anything coming out it was sort of like everyone was on the same playing field again um you know everybody's tour was postponed everybody's release was postponed everybody's everything was postponed (laughs) and so I kind of got to think about music outside of a live space outside of a release outside of anything other than here's what's going on in my head and here's what I want to sound like and here's what I need to process um so releasing it was um you know, I think we're, <laughs> I want to say we're coming out of it, but like, are we? <laughs> I've been releasing it kind of around the time that people were starting to release things again. Um, right. You know, it was, it, it was kind of, it was a weird readjusting to that level of competition, quote unquote, and saying, well, yeah. there's so many big albums coming out that day, you know, what if my work gets lost you know whatever I wish I just didn't think about those things you know well it's hard like being in those multiple roles of being an artist and then it's kind of poignant that your album is titled death of a cheerleader if you were in the publicist role prior that I'm just like (laughs) you know (laughs) I was like that is you know essentially being the cheerleader and spokesperson for other artists um funny I didn't even think about it like that Oh, galaxy brain <laughs> starring uh, my brain making weird associations <laughs> oh no that is a cool association to make I think you know for me the cheerleader was always like a goalpost standard that I held myself to mm-hmm. um back in the vein of comparison you know um being a young woman and specifically a queer young woman and a, a person of color mm-hmm. I just grew up feeling like there wasn't really any space for myself anywhere. Um, And the cheerleader was like kind of the ideal American beauty standard for like what it's like to be like a young femme 
person, you know, it's like right. active and popular and, and, you know, whatever else, um, you know, so that was kind of like a standard that I held myself to that was unrealistic. And in like, you know, raising Palm Palm Squad as a, a punk band, it was sort of like to contest that mm-hmm. standard. Um, so that was kind of the death in question is, is kind of killing off that expectation of my self. Um, yeah. yeah. Trying to kind of like fit in an archetype that like, in a way, I wondered when you're talking, I was like, I wonder if you can actually kill an archetype, like to have that concept, just be like, no, we can put that concept to rest. That's what you know, like young women are supposed to be. I kind of think so. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, uh, there are certain concepts that even though they're kind of not put to rest, they're definitely being questioned and recontextualized. Like, you know, this idea, for example, of like the dumb blonde, I feel like there's kind of been a justice for, for blondes lately. Yes. (laughs) You know, for example, the Britney Spears archetype, like in the two thousands, everybody was like, she's just this young idiot, you know, teenage girl. And I feel like now we're realizing how, completely unfair media was to her and to women like her yes Um, you know this idea of like legally blonde being such a you know goalpost piece of media for so many young women now um I don't know like I feel like that archetype you know somebody to write like a blonde a dumb blonde character you know in the year of our lord 2021 like is you know I feel like it would sort of be there would be pushback Yes, people would be like, wait, why why that? Like, we already know that that's not the case. Past this, you know what I mean? (laughs) So I feel like in that way, an archetype can be killed off, or at least like an expectation of an archetype. Like if you're a certain type of woman, if you're like, you know, femme and you're interested in clothes, you're interested in, well, I guess maybe the dumb blonde has been revived in the like bad takes on social media influencer movies, you know, like the horror movie where you yes. the young influencer die because they're so self-absorbed, whatever. Um, well, and there's also the, the whole thing in social media now that I was just talking to someone about how we all went down kind of the rabbit hole of like only being social on social media because we had no other options for a while. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know how to put it other than like the self-aware bimbo. Like I saw that trope a lot, like on TikTok where it was like yeah. people that, you know, I'm trying to think of how to put it. It's like embodied that kind of exaggerated feminine, but in yeah. a way they were like, fuck you. I'm so feminine because I like this aesthetic. Also, we should all be socialists now. Bye. <laughs> like- I just feel like that's where I'm at. Honestly, I feel like I'm embracing my bimboism in a very real way (laughs) I just like nodded sagely I'm like hmm yes (laughs) (laughs) I do think I mean I think I've been having this like return to things that I liked as a kid and you know I I think especially in my kind of generation I'm I'm 24 like Mm -hmm. manic pixie dream girl I'm not like other girls girl was extremely prevalent when I was in middle and high school and you know there was a time where it was like I I only had guy friends and I kind of played into all of the like 
girls are so much drama you know just like repeating like dumb shit that I'd heard in you know tv shows where the ingenue you know the Bella of you know (laughs) I don't wear heels like I am a cool girl I wear converse both of these boys are obsessed with me you know what I mean (laughs) versus like I've always been like the kid that gravitated towards like princesses and pink and and glitter and stickers and whatever like that's always been me um so I think I'm kind of I've been excited and and uh you know I feel like even since like I think even in high school when kind of like rookie mag and that sort of Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. third wave third wave I think like third wave kind of white feminism aesthetic came to prevalence I was like this is the first time I'm ever seeing anybody say that liking pink is like not just for idiots you know what I mean yes um yes. so I don't know I'm I'm very into my bimboness like I'm I'm very into like a teeny tiny dress and like calling myself hot and being like I need you to take 35 pictures of me before I leave the house before yes. my makeup gets messed up you know what I mean like I'm I'm kind of all in it I, it's super fun well, that's, I think what got lost is that like, it's fun. Like, <laughs> It's really fun. And like, you were talking about like liking the stuff that you did when you were a kid, like even it was so cool, like looking at your photos. And I was thinking about even like what I liked to do when I was a kid. And even in the pandemic, like I've been doing because it's just fun. Like, I love like sticking colorful, shiny things to my face because it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's not even necessarily for an audience. It's because it's so much fun engaging with yourself that way. And Um, it's like, yeah, it's just great. And you're just like, oh, I get to wear like fun, poofy things just because it's, it's exciting. Like I get to spin around like a human meringue. This is great. (laughs) that you put that though like kind of for the entertainment of your yourself because I think I've I've kind of been in a similar mind frame of like you know things that maybe again I've been thinking a lot about this influencer trope and this Mm -hmm. kind of like recontextualization of that character where you know it's like this moral like vanity is bad thing where you know, entertaining yourself by putting on makeup or wanting to wear nice clothes or whatever is seen as this bad thing. And honestly, I just really like makeup and clothes. Like to me, posting on social media and taking pictures of myself, like I've always been interested in self-portraiture, like not just taking pictures of myself, but when other people, you know, Mm -hmm. are self-portrait artists, like like a Cindy Sherman, like I I just love I just love it. I love kind of being able to see somebody how they see themselves or as close as you can kind of get to that. Um, yes. But, you know, I started taking pictures of myself like on my, you know, dad's like DSLR when I was in middle school. And I think I've always been fascinated by my own human body. Like just this is the for this is the form I'm in. And what does that mean and what does that look like and who am I and how does that change and even with social media like I just see it as kind of like a little way to be creative every day you know I love thinking of it that way because so many people do feel the competition that you mentioned from before but infusing it with that idea of like oh you get to be creative and self-reflective I'm like 
Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think also just being a person who is busier than I used to be and who doesn't get as much time to write and journal and play and be, um, you know, social media almost feels like this weird, like, it's just kind of something you do every, every day, like making yourself coffee. Like you just kind of, <laughs> you know, and the pandemic hundred percent made it worse. It was like social media is reality. Yes. But I don't know. It, it's like in, kind of ingrained in our world anyway. So like might as well have fun with it. You know? That's what I find so fascinating is like, because are you technically, it's funny because I just thought about it. I was like, it's 24. Are you at the top of Gen Z or the bottom of millennial then? I think I'm, <laughs> I'm both. Yeah, it's just like, you might be kind of in like the same position I'm in where I'm like, I'm like a crossover situation where I'm like, yeah, I'm a cusp. Yeah, it's like the hotly disputed elder millennial sector where they keep coming up for new names for our like micro generation where it's like the Oregon Trail generation, like weird things like that where I'm just like, I feel uh, my kind of defining characteristic is I'm young enough to not really get Harry Potter. but old enough that I don't really get TikTok yet. That's, I'm like, that's beautiful. That that got a cackle laugh. Well done. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's weird being like a a cuspy one. Cause yeah, mine is, I'm just like, I remember life before the internet, Um, but I also don't click on phishing scams. Like, you know, I, I have a relatively high affect. I'm not a Gen Xer. It's not like I don't care about things. Um, but also I don't use the word adulting. Like it's correct. Like- <laughs> correct. <laughs> giant correct. It's like I'm right in the middle there. I'm just like, mm, this is awkward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like. Because I do remember when social media became like an aspect of our lives. And it's really fascinating to even see how different age groups adapt to the different social media platforms, mm-hmm. how people use them and why. And seeing like, there's a few like elder millennials that are really killing it on TikTok. And I respect that. That's um, and then there's like, there's like the occasional rogue agent, like Jack Black's TikTok is really fun. Like stuff like that, where you're just like, like, you know what I mean? I feel like the kind, I mean, it's Jack Black. Yeah. What do we expect? Oh yeah. Of course he he understands the assignment. Like (laughs) (laughs) to me at least. Um, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I feel like there's always going to be people like that who kind of can do whatever and are always going to be on the pulse of of whatever new social media trend comes up I think it's just adaptability in a way um but yeah I mean I remember like I think the first time I heard about Instagram actually I know the first time I heard about Instagram was my sophomore year of high school um and you know I had like a like a little personal Instagram where all the other people in my high school followed me and then I think I started to learn that you could have a social media persona mm-hmm. and that was a game changer for me. I like deleted my old, my old personal Instagram. And then I just made this like, completely curated, like, you know, it was like videos of me, like going to shows, like, 
you know, I was like, I was kind of like the alt girl at my high school. I went to a very homogenous um, high school in Florida and I had gone from being in public school my whole life to being homeschooled and then to, to doing private school um, right after. And private school was like just a huge culture shock. It was just yeah. a, big, you know, a big shift. And um, I felt very alone. I was very isolated. I didn't have a lot of friends. Um, and so like Tumblr and Rookie Magazine and, you know, all that kind of like alternative media was my entire life and personality and um then I like created an Instagram and started going to like indie rock shows you know with my mom like three nights a week so it was like you know posting myself at shows posting you know whatever little like vintage like I I got a depop and I was like this is amazing you know what I mean I I was like an American apparel girl I was finding discontinued American apparel outfits on on depop and you know oh my god yeah I knew everything about the DIY scene in New York and LA you know like I was just plugged in as fuck um but it really like kind of like is a huge part of who I became as an artist and always will be is kind of chameleon and the perpetual adapter and interpreter and referencer and you know, it's kind of like, that's how I learned to be, you know, I didn't really have, like, my, my older siblings are very, like, nerdy, and into the kind of, like, they're both huge, like, film nerds, and, you know, we all grew up playing, like, a ton of video games, and so, you know, we were all very, like, we were all very antisocial as well, so I feel like usually, you, when you're a kid, you have the, like, cool older brother, or cool older, not that they're not cool, but, you know, you have the older sibling who kind of is like partying and like right doing you know doing everything that you kind of like mimic as you get older and you learn from them. And I didn't really have that, and I, you know, kind of had to teach myself to fit in. Um, and I knew that I didn't fit in with the the, the normies, quote unquote. And, <laughs> you know, found well, like of community. That's what I was going to say is that it it sounds like online you were able to find reflections of yourself or like kind of almost like what came to mind was like aspirational reflections where it's like, you're like, oh, but I want to be like that. I want to, I want to engage with that. Yeah, Um, for sure. And like when you had spoken about that, you know, like the whole cheerleader of like when you said even like the image of the, the young and beautiful American cheerleader, like what came to mind is definitely like that person's white that Mm -hmm. person's tall that person has like probably like blonde hair and blue eyes like all the things that it's like you know that come with that and it's like you then sought out online to be like hey well where do I fit in I'm I'm not those things Um, (laughs) but I think also you know like early lessons in feminism and you know, especially in like certain artists' work, I started to see the kind of alternative cheerleader character. Like, you know, movies like But I'm a Cheerleader, for example. Yes. You know, the the queer leader. And um, you know, you start seeing ah oh god, sorry. <laughs> Your phone was like, pay attention to me. You were talking about me earlier. <laughs> my, uh, my alarm to take my meds, so uh I'll do that. Yeah. 
Good. I was like, I was like, do the thing, do the thing. I said, I set an alarm for mine as well. Cause, um, hilariously it's ADHD med. So like if I didn't, I'd low key for, I'd forget. <laughs> yeah. My partner very sweetly delivered them to me before this call because, oh, yeah, because they're an angel. We love um, this. Oh, oh. Yeah. I'm very much a little bitch for my partner. <laughs> <laughs> um but... <laughs> oh I was just like partners delivering meds my my partner has ADHD as well and like he ah! he forgot to get his medication filled this one week and so like I ended up because he called me it was like it was like every two hours he called me almost on the dot being like I feel really weird and I'm like yeah it's because you don't have your medication to use like, oh yeah and then like two hours later he'd be like I feel really weird <laughs> like, and so finally I was just like do you do you just want some of mine? Like, do you just here? I can do you a solid. Like, it'll I hold. You know? We do. We have like my the exact same prescription. Also, <laughs> yeah, my partner and I also have the same prescription. Isn't that weird? Oh, I'm like it's true love. Oh, Ill <laughs> together. Exactly. None of us make enough dopamine, but it's okay. Yeah. Or about dopamine's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was like good to have people supporting you and it's good honestly I'm glad that this even came up because I was I was talking to someone else about how so much of the last like time of our lives has highlighted the importance of mental health and even like talking about it not just in a perfunctory way of like oh my god like I'm gonna post on Instagram that I was anxious one day it's like no no actually talking to people about like managing mental health yeah, in in a in a real way, I, I'm kind of um, on that journey right now. Like I haven't. I think I'm lucky that right before the pandemic, I, you know, was just starting to to take medication, and mm-hmm. I don't know where I would be without it. Honestly, I don't I don't know how I would have gotten through um, 2020. Right. <laughs> but I think now coming out of it, there is this like kind of expectation that everyone is just supposed to be okay again um and I certainly don't feel that way no uh you know I'm trying to parse out for myself like how this is to be done I think everybody is um it's it's a very uh it's so interesting because we are pressured to like move forward and things are fine, which clearly they're not like, we're clearly in another wave of the pandemic. And also like to not acknowledge the trauma of what everyone went through, even just like to be like, you're fine now. It's like, it's okay to admit that what you went through was hard and disorienting and strange and that it's okay to talk about it. It's not like you're causing a problem by naming it. Right. Absolutely. I think I feel like maybe, you know, there's this kind of idealism, like this, you know, everybody wants it to be the roaring 20s, and we just came out of this, like, horrible time, and now, like, we're all gonna kind of do our thing, and everybody's gonna party, and we're all gonna, you know, like, fuck each other, and whatever, you know what I mean? Like, it just feels like everyone kind of wants this, like, Woodstock resurgence as (laughs) fantasy, you know, but it's kind of like, there is still a level of responsibility that needs to be taken if you want to live that life you know what I mean it's like there there needs to be 
mandates on masks and who can go where. And now all of the right wing people are like, fuck Pom Pom Squad, which is fine because they probably didn't like me anyway. <laughs> I feel like it's like, it, you know, obviously it seems like a no brainer. Um, right. Because what's the other option? Like, we're just going to be like, okay, well, the future is people are going to get it. And some people are just going to die. And, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, it just feels like this gross oversight to just kind of ignore the problem just because we want it to not be there. Yes, I I wholeheartedly agree. Um, <laughs> and it's it's one of those things where it's a it's a balance of like, yes, people should have individual choice. However, mm-hmm. look to see, does your choice affect other people? Because we've made an agreement to live in a society. And we sure do live in a society. We sure do. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like... Live in a society. That's what I hear. I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, we definitely are in a culture of individualism and you know it's like I'm not one to sit here and say like that I'm not self-centered because I am and so is everybody and especially in American culture you know it's very much about the self and you know self-made millionaire a self-starter you know whatever you know uh a girl boss (laughs) oh god I was like I think that thankfully bypassed both of our micro generations yeah um yeah I do I think that's true actually I think that yeah I think we did miss the days but um oh god what was I even trying to say I think you know in terms of it's like I don't know that kind of freedom is the same type of freedom that's like allowing like five corporations to wreck the entire environment yeah and there needs to be at a certain point like people aren't going to change the behavior so there needs to be you know action and I'm not one to to sit here and say like the government mandating things is is you know the the end-all be-all and fixes everything because it doesn't and we know that but there need to be repercussions for people who are like fucking up the environment pretty much like whole earth this has been kind of like a group project and a lot of us are participating and then there's a few people that aren't mm-hmm. sing it up for us yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah oh god and thinking oh thinking about that in terms of even like I was thinking about what you were saying about like individualism kind of versus like collectivism it's a balance and it's like actions do have consequences. And it's funny that you're like the right wingers, like don't even like pom-pom squad anyway. It's like thinking about, you know, why do people think that they're free from the consequences of their actions? You know, I think every, I think everybody just wants it to be okay. Um, but we need to accept that it isn't yet. And, and so, you know, adjustments need to be be made you know whether it's like making sure that that it, you know it's mandatory to wear a mask when you're at a, at a you know at a at an event at a club yeah. at a whatever, you know or checking vaccination cards I know that's also been like a hotly contested topic but that one to me is so fascinating because we've been checking vax cards for uh since we figured out vaccination 
<laughs> like think well, about like going to public school think about going to like you know things like that think about like having a passport in general and like getting vaccinated <laughs> to travel to different countries it's like we've already been doing that that's Correct. not new <laughs> right like it is kind of baffling in that way I think you know again it is this sort of idealism of of, you know I think people just don't want things to change like I remember at the beginning of this seeing like people like making you know protesting and making signs that are like you're ruining my senior year and it's like yeah like is that really you know it's just kind of like this really is not about your senior year you know? Right. And it's hard. Cause like you were talking about even, and I related so much, like, you know, talking about like forming your identity when you're a teenager that I can't imagine if this had happened when I was a teenager, like granted, I, I did like to hang out by myself a fair bit, but like to not, to have it be taken away essentially that of course it's not about you. It's there's a pandemic, Right. But I, I'm sure like I would have felt on some level that like almost like that self-centered injury where it's mm-hmm. just like, but I don't get this thing. Eh. What? I feel like we honestly, I feel like we all had that to an extent. I, I didn't, I definitely did. And I think honestly, you know, with touring specifically, like we had put out this EP um, that, you know, really had an organic growth that was surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I was lucky enough that I was a, a publicist at the time, and um, my bosses, like, didn't know that I was in a band until my first day working, and I put out a song, Aww. and that song was in Stereogum, and that was, like, the first time I'd been in a national publication. Hey! And, yeah, it was crazy, but, you know, and then, of course, my bosses found out, and they were like, oh, you know, if you want to work PR from your desk, you can, and so they, they let me, and then, you know, as things kind of grew, they made me more of a priority. Um, no. But for the most part, like, things really began in a completely organic way. You know, we didn't have promotion. We didn't, you know, we spent, like, $400 making making it, you know. Right. There was, it was a lot of, like, favors and friends of friends and strings pulled and, you know. Right, um, right. And to have gotten, you know, we were going to play South by Southwest and then we were going to do a, like a club tour. And then after that, we were doing like a tour where it was between 1,000 and 5,000 capacity venues. And we were going to play in my hometown at the place where I went to homecoming my senior year of high school. So it definitely felt like an injury, uh, finding out that all of that was gone. But I do think I had to kind of stop and be like, I'm not the only person that this happened to and like who am I to make it about myself and that's not to say I wasn't allowed to be disappointed because that's that's natural of course but I do think there's a level of you know if you're protesting the the vaccine because it ruined your senior year then we have a problem (laughs) (laughs) yes Yes. It's kind of, it's the whole being able to see the bigger picture where it's like, you can hold both of those ideas in your mind that like your senior year and your tour was ruined. And also that it has nothing to do with you personally. It's like, you can have both of those feelings and ideas simultaneously. They seem like they're in conflict, but you can have both of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's, I feel like that's a huge lesson of this time is duality and, you know, like, 
I don't know, just a need for a more nuanced understanding of the people around us. Um, you know, I think everybody, especially growing up in this culture, is always going to have a level of self-centeredness, selfishness, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Right. But, you know, it's important to, like, keep it in check. I've, I've definitely, you know, gotten caught looking like a damn fool from keeping, <laughs> you know, my ego in check. <sighs> I was like, as we all have I don't know anybody that has not had that experience where they're like who's the villain oh it was me oh it's literally me I mean (laughs) yeah (sighs) oh my gosh well and especially balancing being an artist and being a person and really like that's so interesting I didn't know prior to this that you were a publicist like that's fascinating to me um and like not like a fun glam thing to talk about so I usually don't talk about my my day jobs and interviews but (laughs) That's something that I find so interesting is that like, as artists, we're told in a way, like not to talk about our day jobs, but like most artists have day jobs and it doesn't mean you're like not an artist. That that to me was always a really um, interesting trope that it's like, you're somehow not an artist if you have a day job. And I'm like, have you met capitalism? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I guess my interpretation of it, right. is like, there is something about being an artist that's supposed to be kind of glamorous and aspirational. Yeah. And it, you know, there, I think more in recent history, this has dissipated, but there are some people who don't want the artist to be just like them. Right. There are some people that want the artist to be kind of like an avatar for where they want to be, mm-hmm. um, you know? And I think, kind of being on both sides of that having been a person who was not a public figure and now being a person who is a public figure in a in a way um I see both sides of it um you know because I think I feel like art kind of works in a pendulum of like somebody told me this once and I know it's from a, a somebody really smart who wrote this <laughs> Um, I think that there was a philosopher that basically said history works in thesis and antithesis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yep. music works in a very similar way where yep. people want artifice and they want sugar and they want pop and they want fantasy, you know, for a decade or for two decades or for however, however long. And then, you know, there's a time when music gets weird and everyone wants Nirvana and the Foo Fighters yeah. full and gritty and real and, you know, and just like them. And, you know, I do feel like in the age of social media, you know, selling aspirational, selling, you know, the kind of face tuned, uh, you know, super glam flex culture, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's like a response to a capitalist problem, which is that people hate being advertised to, and they want to think it's their own idea, that they like this thing, that they want the designer nose job, that they want, you know, the Dior saddlebag, you know, whatever it is, Um, you know, they want to come to that themselves, and obviously, this idea of the influencer is a a more insidious way of advertising in some ways, right? Uh, you know, but I think there are also a lot, you know, there, there's a reality to be understood that these people who are the quote unquote ideal and who are selling an ideal are, are, are people, are just simply people who mostly are doing repetitive actions of right. posting and sharing and creating content. And, you know, it's a job. Like it's, it is, 
literally a job to sell perfection. Yes. Um, yes. So there is this kind of, and I think, you know, someone like me, for example, knows that, but every time I see a girl who I think is prettier than me wearing a dress, I'm like, I think I need that dress. You know, it's like, I'm like <laughs> I feel like, like a lab rat in a way because I completely recognize that I'm being advertised to, but it doesn't stop me from wanting something anyway. Well, and I feel like that's the difference between like one's cognitive mind and one's emotional mind where like our cognitive minds, it's actually the newest part of our brains, the prefrontal cortex. And it's a little dodgy, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, <laughs> problems. Um, yeah, whereas like, you know, the rest of our brain is, is far more developed, but that's mostly in, you know, what traditionally was called like the unconscious mind, but it's all the other processes that go into the course of, you know, what then gets manifested as like our emotions and our actions. But it's like, that's the part of our brain that it doesn't care that we know, quote, no, logically that something's an advertisement. It only cares about how do we feel when we look at that? Like, that's all it's taking in is that part of our brain is like, just taking in like, what does this look like? How do I feel? And so it's discounting that we know that that's someone who literally probably like took like over a hundred photos, picked the top two, edited them, like did all the things, wrote the caption, got paid by the company. Like we know that with like, you know, say like 2% of our brain and the other 98% of our brain is like, oh, pretty dress, want pretty, want feel. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so like on a personal level who grew up with such an aspiration towards embodiment, you know, ah. literally made a music video that is just me recreating shots from the Virgin Suicides because that was an, wow. I mean, it's true. It was like truly an aspirational moment for me as a teenager <gasps> you know, to look like my favorite artist, to be like my favorite artist, to put myself in the context of my favorite artist. And also part of that is because I'm a person of color and it's like, the Virgin Suicides wasn't made with me in mind. No, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, it was made with wayfish white people. Correct. And I will never be one of those, Uh, you know? And I think I've kind of realized maybe more so lately within a more nuanced eye that I did aspire to that kind of wayfish white feminist aesthetic for a really, really long time. And I've had these major kill your idols moments where it's kind of like, you know, it it just becomes painfully obvious that those things were not invented for me. Right. But I do still, you know, I, I do still feel this need to like embody a certain aesthetic or, you know, put myself, you know, in the context of of, of certain pieces of art um, because it makes me feel like then I'll be, I'll be valid. But also yeah. I just really love them, you know? There's, there's a kind of like love and also like envy like there's that kind of I don't know the fun complicated feeling I was gonna say it's like it's that whole aspirational mirroring where it's like sometimes you're comforted by seeing people who are like you in media and you look for that and sometimes you or at least I try to like it sounds like what you're describing too almost kind of fit yourself into the media that you're seeing it's like a self-insert but like you really just want to like slide in is what you're witnessing instead of as yourself (laughs) yeah absolutely like I think it was also just like wanting to be perceived a certain way Mm -hmm. because the girls in the virgin suicides were perceived as beautiful attractive like you know like above you know like above human and obviously I understand now that 
the point, you know, the point is being critical of that idea of right. this idealization of women that really doesn't account for anything that they actually are. Right. Um, but you know, as a teenager, you just go like, I want to be that pretty. Like, I want to be that interesting. I want to, I want to, you know, yeah, be, you know, wanted. And I don't know. I, I think again, it, it is that kind of thing of sometimes you want to know that somebody's like you, and sometimes you don't. And and I think being in public has been really weird for me in that way because there's also the practical side of it which is just for my own emotional preservation and protection, I can't be as candid and open as I used to be. You know, when Palm Palm started, it was like, I, you know, I was fucking saying everything. I was like really, really candid about, you know, my financial situation, how much money I was making, how shows came together, you know, what was going on, like in, in all sides of, of everything that I was doing because I had the luxury of doing that one because the people who are following me and the people who are watching me were people that wanted to be there because right. you know I was a fucking nobody and if they liked my music it was because they saw me at a show or because we went to school together or you know whatever it may be and this is not to say that I'm like a big you know celebrity by any means but I, it's definitely gotten to a point where I can't really read my comments anymore or look at my messages yeah. because it's not healthy for me. Well, because um, then it's people interacting with, it's almost like too many degrees of separation. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and it was, it hearkened back in my mind, at least to what you're saying about how, like your discovery almost that you could create an avatar of yourself on social media, how you like deleted your, your Insta and like how to curate it Insta. Yeah. But like when people are interacting with your avatar, even though that avatar is part of you, it's not like, it's like you wouldn't create an avatar that's completely unlike you, but it's almost like you take several of your characteristics and like, just kind of push them to a 10 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> like, there also is that thing that half of the influencers, it's like, they're showing you who they want to be. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's definitely a level of that. And, you know, it's like, I don't really like, you know, Photoshop my pictures of myself. Like for the first time in my life, I'm actually really proud of the way I look, which is a nice, mm. which is just a nice moment for my own self-assuredness. Yes. <laughs> you know, but I do recognize that like some people are looking at me as a goalpost in a way that may not be healthy for them you know? Yes. Yeah. In the same way that, you know, my favorite artists, like, you know, it's like, nobody's going to go back on, you know, and redo the virgin suicides to be more considerate of whatever. It's like, it's an artist's expression of their own life and needs and and wants and desires. And whether or not that was, you know, the virgin suicides in particular was invented for people of color remains to, you know, it's like, there's an obvious answer to that question. Um, but I also do think that's kind of an exciting thing about the tradition of art is the idea of somebody seeing something and going, wow, I never saw myself in that, so I'm going to make it for myself. And I think part of my artistry is to do that on a very literal level, mm-hmm. uh, kind of putting myself in the context of, of art that I love. But, you know, I do like the idea of somebody being like, damn, I really love Pom Pom Squad, but they don't represent me as a, you know, X kind of marginalized person. So I'm going to start a band. And I'm going to be that for for somebody else or be that for myself. 
Yeah, that you can see like a seed of yourself in there that you're like, okay, I see where the overlap is. And I also see where this like is not applying to me. <laughs> Absolutely. That's how, that's what happened to me with Riot Girl. Yeah. Honestly, every, almost everything I liked when I was a teenager has, has had a moment of coming to terms with that. It's very, okay. it's so interesting you say that. Cause yeah, like I was reflecting on like the teenage media that I took in a lot and what I still, what I still enjoy and what, you know, what I'm like, okay, I think that journey has ended. Yeah. Um, like <laughs> that, like, I think like as time has gone on, like for instance, like Bjork has been an artist who's influenced me since I was a teenager and continues to do so because the more I learned about her, the more I learned that like how much she actually, and I didn't know this as a teenager, it wasn't talked about in her interviews, how much she engineers her own music. It was always mm -hmm. emphasized who her collaborators were and things like that, which is great and all, but like, I didn't understand then that like the things that I was doing, like with electronic music were mm -hmm. valid in a way, because I didn't see that reflected in like my favorite artists. I was like, oh, well, if Bjork has to use all these engineers, like, who am I to do this? Mm -hmm. Um, and then like hearing her talk now that like, you know, she's really insistent on like people showing who's actually creating those sounds, how she creates her music, things like that. I'm just like, oh, wow. And it's like almost like my little teenage self within me still is just like, oh, yay. <laughs> well, that's, it's a similar reason to why I never started a band, honestly, until, you know, I started playing, you know, I, I feel like I've been singing my whole life, but my parents recently told me that I, you know, I never actually showed anybody that I could sing until I was like 10 or 11 oh. you know and one day like my sister was auditioning for youth choir and I was like I want to audition too and my parents were like honey you don't sing um so I went to the audition and you know I came out and and they were like she's actually really good she can sing <laughs> um, and, you know so that was kind of like how I started singing and I started playing guitar when I was you know, around 14, but for some reason, there was nothing ever that convinced me that I myself could write my own music. Like, I just was learning covers and, you know, sitting on my bed and, you know, like learning how to play a fucking Weezer song. Um, but I, I didn't see myself anywhere to a degree that, you know, would convince me that people like me make music yeah I was talking with um oh what's her name her artist name is MXM tune and yeah, she's so cool she's so rad um it was one of those moments where I was just like is it normal for me to be like oh Gen X is so good I mean Gen <laughs> Z is so good I was just like Gen X is good too not gonna lie I do like my Gen X friends but Gen Z is like, I'm just like, I don't know what happened. It's kind of like Gen Z realized everything is broken. And so we're just going to make something new. Unlike millennials that are like, oh no, we realized halfway through everything is broken. <laughs> yeah. Gen Z like realized right off the bat. Um, yeah. Well, because they have more language, you know, I think it's like, even, you know, like being non-binary and using they, them pronouns I'd never heard of that until I went to college. Yeah. And the adjustment to make is like, for me at least, it's not for everybody, but it's like, I was kind of like, okay, like, yeah. you know, this is something that I've never heard before, but this is how somebody identifies and like, who am I to disrespect that in any Bingo. capacity? And, but it's like people who like, I, you know, was, as was at one of my old jobs and 
you know, these two like little, you know, they were maybe like 11 or 12 year old kids came up and one uh-huh. of the girls I was working with misgendered one of them. Mm. And, you know, one of the kids was like, he goes by he, him, you know what I mean? And uh-huh. it was quick to correct her, you know, oh. and, and make her friend feel more comfortable. And I was just like, that's fucking awesome. That's I love awesome. this. Because there are so many people in my life who, if they had had the language earlier and the resources to understand themselves better, would have saved them, you know, saved themselves, not saved themselves, but like would have been spared a lot of discomfort and heartbreak. Yes. Um, you know? And to have that kind of advocacy and also to see yourself in people, like that's what I was thinking of when I was talking to her was that like, she was saying that, you know, she had originally started same thing, like kind of like almost doing like, like fan art and like things like that. But then she, she's become kind of the people there. She's become the person that people see that they're like, oh, there's this biracial bisexual artist. I too can do this. (laughs) It's like when you see just even one other person that's kind of in your lane doing the thing, you're like, Ooh, okay. (laughs) I can, I can maybe do that. Um, even if you're not exactly like that person, it's like, if they're, if they're close enough. <laughs> yeah. If they give you enough of a seed, that was like Mitski for me. Oh, I remember like, I was just in a place in my life where, you know, I, I moved, I was born in New York, but I moved back to New York, uh, for college and I was there to study acting and it was just not a healthy environment for me. I did not feel like myself. I was doing it for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted everyone to tell me that I was worth it and that I was good enough. And I think also, you know, as a person of color, there was a, a level of an inferiority complex mm-hmm. that I um, kind of learned growing up. And, you know, when I was in acting school, my superiors made a point to let me know that I was not pretty and wow. that I was not going to receive the leading woman roles that wow. only be successful because being an actress of color was trendy um, <gasps> correct and oh, I'm gonna throw everybody in the trash <laughs> oh yeah and like I was just singled out for dumb reasons like they're like they're like you know, there was one moment that I, I kind of have returned to recently where I had a professor be like, wow, everyone in this class is so fun. Everyone except Mia. <gasps> and it's kind of like, this is an adult, this is an adult telling this to a 19 year old. Wow. You know, for what purpose? It's kind of like, what does that have to do with me doing well in your class other than just to tell me that you don't like me and that you don't enjoy my my time or presence um and what a message to reinforce for everybody witnessing that too oh it was horrifying I mean it's like also when somebody singles you out in that way it's just really mortifying and there was this kind of energy of like there are no I mean literally people would say there are no bad classes only bad actors so if you were falling behind it was just it was because you were not good at this Mm. and not because you know somebody could have stopped and said hey 
you know, maybe here's what you don't, you're not understanding. And I want to spend a little extra time, you know, talking you through it. It was just kind of like, you know, it was very sink or swim in a way that I feel like is not healthy. A place of higher education and Mm -hmm. like the the point is education. The point is not like telling you how much you suck. Right. Um, Surprisingly, that doesn't motivate people to uh, well, learn or get better at stuff. Correct. Yeah, I mean, so I left and, you know, eventually transferred to music. And that was kind of the first time I was able to validate myself yeah. in my own experience. And Mitski, like when I was in the middle of that transfer, or not transfer, but like, as I was kind of falling out of love with acting, I heard a Mitski song for the first time because my best friend was a fan of hers and is a fan of hers. And like, it was like a life changer for me. I heard Your Best American Girl and it was the first song I'd ever heard about being multiracial in, you know, in a, in a romantic relationship with a white person. Mm-hmm. And I understood and respected and literally I like slept over at a friend's place once and she was like, you were talking about something in your sleep and I was like reciting lyrics from my <laughs> in my in my fucking sleep oh no, you get to be that person like that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> it's really I don't know it is it is a cool feeling and I don't take it for granted oh I was just like, now I wonder who's reciting your lyrics in their sleep. Oh my God. Well, honestly, seeing like even messages of of people who have expressed a similar sentiment to me, or even people who are just like, your music really helped me get through a breakup, or I, you know, I got out of an abusive relationship and your music, you know, helped me do that, or, you know, helped me realize that the situation I was in wasn't healthy. Like it, you know, that's crazy and and so many artists were that catalyst for me and you know I don't know music is a tradition and I do feel like art is a tradition and there you know there's there's you know a lot of discourse about the way that music is passed down or like originality and I don't know I just think maybe it's you know context is really important you know where things come from um because it's like I don't know I feel like kind of the point is to pass it down you know that's how history gets done it's almost like the flip side of the negative consequences of one's actions that it's like there's also really positive consequences like if you choose to put out music if you choose to put out art if you engage with this like there are very positive consequences then people think about themselves differently that they evaluate what's going on around them differently that it helps them through a hard time like things like that that I'm just like oh yeah. there's there's the silver lining there is yeah you can do stuff that you're like well that was dumb or you can do stuff where you're like oh that was glorious <laughs> and I feel like music is kind of I mean not kind of it is the universal connector in so many ways I re-listened to a song recently or I was feeling something really specific and I felt very isolated in that feeling um, because no one in my life really related to what I was dealing with and you know I remembered a lyric from a song that I've known for a long time and that I've always loved and I just finally understood it and I was like she exactly about what I was writing about you're not yeah. writing about, but but feeling, you know. 
and I just had this intuition and even if it wasn't true it's like that's what it meant to me and I get to just keep that in my back pocket and have a little you know glimmer of life that I have not I was gonna say that's like a beautiful note to end on to be like hey like you're never alone in your feelings like someone else has felt that at some point (laughs) the amazing thing about human beings is no matter where you go, no matter what you do, and no matter what part of history that you're in, every feeling has already been felt, even if it's not in the same context. And, you know, you're never, you're never alone in those things. And it's just finding the people, you know, the things, the moments, the pieces of art that make you feel seen and, and, and heard. Because exactly. it's And then being that person, you know, writing for yourself and you know, exploring that for yourself and getting to be that for someone else. And then the cycle continues. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. For being so generous with your time. This has been such a fun conversation. Oh, this has been really fun for me too. I clearly, I just like to talk. A lot. <laughs> I mean, I started a podcast, so on the same page with you. That's a good point. <laughs> a really good point. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode.